Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. So I'm excited to be here this morning sharing about forgiveness. Um, I want to start by telling a story from my own life so you can get to know me a little bit better. In, um, in 2009, 2009, so what is that? Is that eight years ago? Wow, eight years ago. In 2009, I was in the upper room of a church in Metro Detroit, which is the area I grew up in, in an upper room of the church with about four to 500 other young people, ages 18 to 30, whatever it is, and they're all just crying out to God in worship. And I'm there, and I'm kind of looking around. I don't really know what to think. But God had been working in my heart for, for months, all, all semester, my first semester of college. God had been working in my heart and, and showing me who He was and showing me the sin that I was living in. Similar to the story of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with it, I, was, I had lived about four or five years just in active rebellion just running after my own things, chasing this elusive self-acceptance and, and, uh, and uh, trying to gain approval from anyone I thought would, would grant me approval. And, and all of a sudden, um, I'm in this upper room, kind of the, just the, it's just this moment that God ordained, and I just lift up my hands and I say, God, you can have all of me. Everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. I'm no longer my own. And in that moment, I felt this, this shame from my past just, just kind of slide off, this guilt that I had been kind of living in just wipe away, and this joy and this peace flooded my soul because I knew in that moment that I had been forgiven, that this debt that I owed that I could never pay was paid in full. And it was just this this revelation, this understanding that God brought upon me as I just, every, all these voices, everything just kind of fell to the margins. And it was just, it was just this, this encounter with the Lord that, that changed radically the course of my life. And now, eight years later, I get to, to share that story with you guys. And it started with, with this understanding, this not just intellectual understanding, but this personal experience with the forgiveness of God. And everything that comes to that, because when God forgives us, He doesn't just forgive us, but He reconciles us to Himself. They, they're, they're together, right? Because if He just forgiven us, then we were still at a distance. What good, what good would that be? But He forgives us, and then He draws us in. He draws us back to Himself as we were created to be. That, that thing that separates us, that which is sin, is, is paid for in the blood of Jesus. And we just say, Lord, I need You. You, you recognize your need for Him. And He comes and He floods you with His grace and with His peace and with His forgiveness. And, it, and it's life-changing. So today we're going to talk about forgiveness, but the most appropriate way to talk about interpersonal forgiveness, how I forgive you or how I forgive somebody who offended me, is to first look at how God forgives us. Because we, we receive from God and then we give according to His nature. So the way that God gives, gives towards us, we just get to reflect that 
in the way that we give. And so if, when He forgives us, we, just, we, can, we get to release that forgiveness in like manner. And we all, we all need forgiveness. It starts in that place. It starts in the place of recognizing that we all need forgiveness. The Bible talks about sin like death. It actually uses the word death. And, and as we'll see in this story uh, we're going to look at today from Scripture, the death that we owe is insurmountable. It, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter the number you want to put on it, even though they give a number in this parable today. The debt is insurmountable. It's inexhaustible. We can't even fathom the amount of debt that we owe. And, and debt is just simply something someone owes to someone else. So, I just want to ask, have you, have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Have, have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Because if not, what I'm, about to, what I'm about to say about forgiveness is really going to have a hard time landing. Because the way that we forgive anybody else comes out of the way that we've been forgiven. If we don't understand the way, the extent of which we've been forgiven, then, then any attempt that we try to forgive somebody else is just, it's, it's, it's just not going to work. And, and so, we all need forgiveness. Um, I often hear this, this phrase, I'm just, I'm just human. I'm not, I'm not perfect. And, and although that's sometimes used as just an excuse to justify a mistake that you made, it's, oh, I'm just human, I make mistakes, we all do. And that, but it's true. Right? There's, it's true, I am just human. And we're all just human, and that means we need, we need the Lord. We need a Savior. Uh, and, and for those of us who are Christians here, hopefully, by the power of the Spirit, God is renewing your mind and changing the way you think and, and, and creating a Christ-likeness in you to where you can begin to reflect the, the, the nature and the attributes of God. Uh, but in case we, we get too ahead of ourselves, we are all still human and we all still need the forgiveness of God. And I want to say this, God is eager to forgive those who turn to Him and recognize their need for forgiveness. He's eager. He's not reluctant. Right? God, isn't, God isn't saying, ask me for forgiveness. Jesus, will you forgive me? Say please. Say please. I, want, I need to hear the magic words. Right? He's not, he is not saying that. In, in Mark 2, there is a a story that's actually in, in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's a story of the paralytic that the, the, his friends bring him in and, and lower him through the roof of this house where Jesus is ministering. And what, is, what do you think Jesus should say to this paralytic? Jesus is a, is a healer. He should say, right, everyone's thinking, he's going to heal him. But the first thing he says to him is what? He says, your sins are forgiven. Okay, what does this what does this mean? What is he what is he getting at? Well, a couple of verses after he says this, it says that so so Jesus had the ability to read thoughts, and he says he knew in their heart in, in their in their hearts what they were thinking, and it says this about the Pharisees, but I think it also says it about the people who came to him, the paralytic and his friends. He saw in their hearts what they were thinking, and however inarticulate. 
however imperfect, however inaudible, he saw a faith in him, and he, and he spoke to the, to the knee that's deeper than the physical knee, and he said, your sins are forgiven. And they thought it was blasphemous. The Pharisees said, how can he forgive sins? And, and yet he says, your sins are forgiven. And, yet, and then he yet goes and, and heals the man to show that he cares about the spiritual and the physical. He cares about both. But he's eager to forgive those who recognize their need for him. John 6, 44, just to mention, in case we want to think that somehow this is kind of our initiative, it says that the Father, no one can come to the Son except when the Father draws him. So this is a work of God that draws us to even recognize our need for Jesus, to then just simply by faith say, I need you, Lord, and then to receive His, receive his, his grace and His forgiveness and His reconciliation. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit all the way through. And here's this. We need to forgive others as God forgives us. Is that too small to read? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Just as. And that's eagerly, that's freely. So, in uh, we're going to look at we're going to be in Matthew 18 today. In Matthew 18, there's two questions. There's two questions the disciples ask. The first question, and they seem to be unrelated, but I think they're actually more related than we think. The first question that the disciples ask is this: Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus responds by calling a child to him. And he put him in the midst of them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And often we talk about children and we talk about childlike faith. There's this simplicity and there's this ease of accepting the truth of God. And that's true, but I think... What Jesus is getting at here is the humility of a child. Not because they're, they have the self-initiated humility, but I think he's saying in this cultural context, children had absolutely no status. At, this is a, a question of status that the disciples are asking. They're saying, well, we're fishermen now. Like, we don't have much social status, but in the kingdom, are we going to? In the kingdom, are we going to be on top? And Jesus says, no, you need to go even lower. You need, to have, you need to be like children. You need to, you need to consider your, your social status nothing in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And children are going to be... The, that, that, that understanding of, of childlikeness is what, what's going to be the greatest. Is, is humility. Because you can't forgive somebody that you feel superior to. Right? You can't, if, you're, if you're elevated above a person, how, how, can, you, how can you forgive them? And the gospel brings us down into the dust to show us our need. It humbles us. It says, you, you, you need Jesus. You deserve hell, but I'm going to give you this grace, this unmerited gift of salvation. I'm going to give it to you in Jesus when you believe in what He's done. 
And then it lifts us up. The gospel lifts us up into the heavens and says, you are accepted, you are loved, you are cherished. And I see you as a spotless, cleansed Jesus that I see in my, in my son. So they ask, who is the greatest? And Jesus answers, it's the, it's the child because of their humility. And then Jesus takes an opportunity to teach a little bit longer. And then he says this, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now, when we read this, this is is a hard passage. This is a hard passage. He's saying, you're sinned against. Somebody does something to you. Well, we want to say, well, they need to come back to me and and, and repent. They need to come back to me and acknowledge that they've done something. I'm going to wait here until they come back and acknowledge what they've done. In this passage, Jesus is saying, you need to go to them. Not in a self-righteous way where you're pointing down to them like you're superior, but just to say, hey, did you know that when you said this or when you did this, it made, this is how it made me feel. This is, this is how I perceive what you happened to you. I feel sinned against. I feel wounded. Hopefully, there's, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement but there's a, there's a responsibility on the side of the one who's been offended. Especially in the community of faith. Especially in the church. To simply, to simply go and just to say, hey, what, what you did, what this thing hurt, this thing, I feel wounded. So Peter, like many of us, is thinking, okay, Jesus, there has to be a limit to this. This can't get out of hand. And so this is the second question. The disciples asked Peter specifically in Matthew 18. It says, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. This is hyperbole. He's not saying 490 times. He's saying an unlimited amount of times. He's saying there's no limit. And then he goes on to tell a story that we're going to get to in a second. Listen to tell a story about what it looks like. The reason why this forgiveness that we extend to those who's, who've hurt us is unlimited. And this is, this is interesting. In Genesis 4, everything seems to point back to, to this thing that Lamech said in Genesis 4. And it's talking about vengeance. In Genesis 4, Lamech so, so Cain says, oh, he's cursed by God. And Cain says, I'm scared. People are going to kill me. And God says, okay, Cain, anyone kills you, I will, I will revenge you. I will avenge you seven times as much. And so Lamech, who's like Cain's great-grandson, has this haughty spirit. And he says, I've killed the man for wounding me. Cain was avenged seven times. I will be avenged 77 times. And so he, it's, this, it's this vengeance, this, this desire to, to destroy. And Jesus is flipping that on its head. And he's saying, you don't forgive seven times. You forgive 77, 70 times seven. So this, this, this movement towards destruction and death and vengeance, Jesus is flipping around and saying, no, forgiveness, grace, mercy. And they, they would have known that story. So, this 
parable. It's smaller than I want it to be. I'll read it out loud. That's all right. This is Matthew 18. So, so, so Jesus says up to seven times. Peter says up to seven times. And he says no. Seventy times seven. And in verse 23, it says this. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun, when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, 10,000 talents, we have no idea what that is. Probably a talent was 15 years' wages for a day laborer. One talent. One talent was 15 years' worth of wages for the average person. This is 10,000 talents. For, the, for an average person who makes, say, $100 a day, that's over $6 billion in, in our money. That's over $6 billion. And I'm thinking, how did, this, how did this guy ever get a loan for $6 billion? I don't understand that, and I think that's not the point, but my mind's thinking, like, why would this king ever loan out $6 billion to a servant who could probably never repay it? That's beside the point. So he says, owed him 10,000 talents. Verse 24, sorry, verse um, 25. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children to all, and all that, he made, all that he had and for repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. Wow. Then this is, I mean, in my opinion, this is not a perfect repentance. This is not a perfect apology or asking for mercy and forgiveness. He just said, I will repay. I will repay you. Just have patience with me. But God, in this parable, it's the king. It's likened to the kingdom. But in the parable, the king sees that. Okay, fine. I'll forgive you that debt. I'll forgive you this debt that you owe. So, verse 28. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii was one day's wage. So if a talent, one talent is 15 years worth of wages, one denarii is one day's wage. So this is actually, realistically, about a hundred days worth of work that this dude had to do to repay him. That's actually, that's not, and that's not impossible. That's like three to four months worth of, worth of work, and he can, he's going to repay. It's about ten grand in our money. Ten grand that he owed him. But, we'll see what he says. So he, the slave went out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. Oops. That was a, pay back what you owe. So, the, so his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you the same exact words that the, that the first servant said to the king. Have patience with me and I will repay you. But, He was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. How do you know, how many of you know that you can't actually pay back somebody 
what they owe if you can't work and you're in prison. Right? So this is an impossible situation. He says, I'm going to put you in prison. I don't know how you're going to pay me, but you're in prison until you can pay me my, my measly 10 grand compared to the 6 billion I was just forgiven. In verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. They summoned him. Then summoning him, his Lord, the king, said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should, not, should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And the Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And then Jesus says this, pulling out of the parable and into, into the application, Jesus says this, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Wow. So, this is a picture of Michigan. You knew that. This is just in terms of getting the picture of this difference. So Michigan is roughly 96,000 square miles. This is Cass County. You probably knew that. And then this is the village of Vandalia. And it's broken up into six parts. And then that little part is 100 acres. The village of Vandalia is about one square mile. 100 acres is a sixth of that one square mile. So compare 100 acres to 96,000 square miles. And that's the difference between 6 billion or the 10,000 talents and the denarii, the 100 denarii. That's, that's big. That's a big difference. That's a lot of, that's a lot, that's a lot of square, square miles compared to 100 acres. And what I'm not saying is that what's been done to you is insignificant. What I'm not saying is that what's been done to you is, 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 is insignificant and doesn't really matter. No, it matters a lot. Jesus shows how much it matters by going to the cross and bearing the weight of sin. But I'll say this, whatever someone has done to you, to offend, whatever someone has done to offend us, always pales in comparison to what we have done to offend God. When, when we compare, I mean, that's what this parable is saying. In comparison, we see the, the 96,000 square miles and the 100 acres. That's, that's the comparison that Jesus is making. In comparison, what we have done to, to offend God, to grieve His heart, is, is, is small in comparison to what we've, we've, what's been done to us or even what we've done to someone else. Because all sin is ultimately against God. If I, so check this out, if, if Reuben, Mark, and I walk into the back room, Reuben punches Mark in the face, and I say, Reuben, I forgive you. Mark would look at me like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. He punched me. And I don't forgive him because I'm mad at him and I need to 
cool down. But Jesus says to the man in, in Mark 2, Son, your sins are forgiven. You can't forgive somebody who hasn't sinned against you. Right? All sin is against, ultimately it's against God. And so when, he, when, when Jesus says to the, to the paralytic in Mark 2, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's why they thought it was blasphemous. Who can forgive sins but God? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am Him. I am Him. And I forgive your sins because I see the, the faith that, you've, that, you, you, that you were brought to me. I see that, that faith, however small, however nonverbal, I see it and I'm responding to it. God is looking for His own. He's creating His own opportunities to extend grace. He is eager. He is passionate. He's extravagant with His extension of forgiveness and grace for those who would acknowledge their need. David, the story of David, one of the great kings of Israel, he sinned horribly. Saw a woman bathing on a roof as the king. He's up on the top of the city. Saw a woman bathing on a roof and said, I want her. And this woman was married and he thought, okay, well, I need to to get rid of her husband. So he set up her husband in battle to be killed. Her husband's killed. Somewhere along the lines, Nathan the prophet Nathan the prophet calls David out. And he tells him this, this story about this person who, who ended up killing a man. And David says, that man should be killed. And Nathan says, that's you. And so Psalm 51 is this psalm of, of anguish and, and recognition and repentance that David writes after the fact. After his confrontation with Nathan. And in that psalm he says, against you... And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. What he's not saying is that I didn't sin against anybody else. He recognizes, even in that psalm, that that his sin is far and wide, but he says, ultimately, my sin has grieved your heart because I sinned against you. You have a created order. You You have a way that things work. And I completely went against it. And I recognize it. But at the same time, he's, he's repenting. He's recognizing what he's done. So, here's the situation. We, see, we saw earlier in Matthew 18, 15, that the one who's been offended has an has a, has a obligation to at least go and, ex, and, and ex, ex show the, uh, the person who sinned against them what happened, how they feel. In Matthew 5, earlier in the book, Jesus is teaching on the the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, He says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, that you've done something, you've sinned against your brother. You're the offender. Your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And so the perfect scenario, there's been a wrong, there's been a sin. Think about it. Both people are recognized at the same moment. They come walking down the road together. They meet in the middle. The first is, is offering repentance, saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. And the other one is saying, I forgive you for what you've done. 
and it's happening at the same time. Think about this in marriage, for those of us who are married. Think about how often this is necessary. This mutual acknowledgement of what I've done. I, I repent. I, I don't want to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I want to say, I've sinned against you. I want to use the right language. I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And I, and I hope and I pray that, that I would be able to receive forgiveness because there's this acknowledgement and we've been called to forgive freely. In, and I just think every time I remember all that God has done. So that's why at 2009, when I think back to what God has forgiven me of, and my heart just wants to just gush with forgiveness to where I don't have to hold on to the little things. I don't have to hold on. I don't have to let it pile up to where all of a sudden there's this bitter root in my heart and I just need healing and I need H&R. Bill Menser was here last week. I talked to him this weekend at the men's retreat. And, uh, and he, last week he talked about the need for, for, for healing and restoration because we get these knots tied up in us. And often it's because we've let unforgiveness build up over years, over decades even, to where we don't even know what we're mad at, but we're just angry and bitter. And we see this, this invitation that God offers to us to, to just right away, just, just acknowledge to the brother who's sinned, to the sister who's sinned, hey, the, what, the, what you did here, this, this hurt. Let's talk about it. I don't want to forgive you and stay at a distance, but God calls us to be reconciled to the point of the relationship before. And so if you've been abused, you've been hurt by somebody who you didn't even know or you weren't close with, you're not called to reconcile to them in a, in a way that's closer to what you were before. But there's this challenge that God gives us in, in linking forgiveness with relationship. There's this challenge that forgiveness removed from reconciliation just doesn't reflect His heart. It just doesn't reflect the way that He does things. And so although in, in severe cases, reconciliation isn't always necessary, we know that God's heart beats for the reconciliation of His people. His heart really cares about His people who have been offended and wounded and hurt, putting forgiveness in front of them and, and receiving His grace and then giving His grace and, and, and being brought back together. So I just want to end with three questions. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you, who do you need to forgive? Maybe you thought, oh, it's not a big deal, but, but it's just keep, it just keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. Who do you need to forgive? And who do you, who do you, need, to, who do you need to confess your sins to? course you need to confess your sins to God, but who do you actually need to be reconciled to? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody who you know who you think, I'm good. I don't need to be brought closer to them. We used to be close, but now something happened and now we're bad. Just ask, ask the Lord. Just right now. Ask God, God, who do I need to forgive? Who, do I, who am I holding a judgment against? Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to confess, admit my fault, confess my sins to? Because when this thing happens, man, this, this weight lifts, this, this, this guilt that we feel, this condemnation, it lifts. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. And when we follow in His ways that He's set before us, we can walk in freedom. We can walk in freedom unhindered by those, those, 
those roots of, of un, unforgiveness and bitterness that want to hold us down. And then, and I just want us to reflect and even ask, have you received the forgiveness of God? Have you received the forgiveness of God? Because if you haven't, everything I've said is just doesn't have anywhere to land. If you haven't received the forgiveness of God, and He's offering, He's extending it right now, just acknowledge your need. If you haven't received the forgiveness of God, then, then it'd be really hard to, to hear that you need to forgive somebody else. But when you understand the depth of your need, when you understand what He's done for you, how much He loves you to the point that He would be willing to forgive you and reconcile you to Himself, restore the relationship that was severed and sinned. Then, then, then we can, however hard, we can begin the process of forgiveness. Now, I, I admit forgiveness isn't, isn't always this moment thing where all of a sudden, boom, okay, I'm, I'm, I forgave it. Stuff might still come up. It's, the, it's a process to get free, to get, to get fully released from, from all the things that want to leech onto us when we have unforgiveness and when we've been hurt. God doesn't, God doesn't gloss over that. He cares about that. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring wholeness. And one of the avenues that He does that is through forgiveness. So I want to pray. I want to invite the prayer team forward. Um, if any of this needs to, you need to just spend a little more time with some of this stuff, we're going to have some of the guys in the front uh, for, uh, for our prayer team. And they'd love to, to, to go a little deeper to pray for you about these things. But I just want to say that, that God's love and His grace are always extended towards you. His, His grace is His divine enabling. We say, I can't do it because my grace is sufficient for you. He gives us His grace to walk this journey. And I, and I promise you it's the better way. So let's pray. Father, we thank You we thank You for the way in which You've forgiven us. This insurmountable debt, Father, this 10,000 talents, this unfathomable amount that we owe, You simply say, it is forgiven. Not without cost. You paid the highest price in Your Son. We thank You for the way, the extent to which You have forgiven us to where You no longer see any, any stains. As far as the east is from the west, you have removed our sins from us. Father, we pray that you would speak to us. If we need to drop what we're doing right now, maybe grab a donut on the way out, but get going on the, in the car, down the road, to whoever we need to be reconciled with. God, give us the curse to do that. Father, let us not delay in this process because we know it's the better way. We know that you will be glorified and as we reflect you, you'll be glorified, but, but we'll also just simply receive wholeness. You're going to bring healing through to us as we walk this journey of forgiveness. God, we ask for your grace. We can't do it alone. We need you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Speak to our hearts. He says, if you forgive from the heart, let not forgiveness be superficial. We feel like we can just check it off. But God, let it go deep into the heart, into the deeper parts of our, of our thought life to where there's no more 
There's no more judgment. There's no more feelings of, I'm superior to you and you owe me something. I'm going to hold this against you for the rest of your life. We release right now. The judgments that we hold, the bitterness that entangles us. We ask, God, that you would come and bring freedom. Yes, God. That you would bring freedom. That's, that's your mission, God. You, you move to bring freedom. So we ask that you come and bring freedom. Bring joy. Bring joy. Bring hope. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.